The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the National Football Show with your boy, Dan Cilio. This bad puppy is just growing like a fungus. Holy cow, are we loaded the next couple weeks with massive guests, massive content, and all at the expense of the National Football League and college football. The only place that you're going to get this exclusive content is right here on the Jacob Media Channel and right here on the National Football Show channel. Again, okay, look at the emblem, okay? What does it tell you? It's the only place you're going to get all this information from. You know, I, 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 I watched all the shows yesterday. The NFL schedule show. I started thinking about that for a second. The NFL drops it on a Wednesday, all the schedules in the National Football League. God, that league gets it. And then you've got the sorry-ass NBA. Players taking days off. LeBron not playing. What did he play, 53 ball games this year? Way to promote your league. One of the great things that Michael Jordan did every single time that he stepped on a court, this guy played 82 ball games every freaking year. He didn't have to get in front of a megaphone or a microphone and go like this. Watch the NBA. His greatness was the pinnacle of how they promoted that league. 50% of the audience bailed after Jordan left because you know why? They didn't want to watch that sport. And now the guy who is the biggest ratings killer in the history of the NBA, I'll say it. You keep calling that dude the GOAT? LeBron James is the worst ambassador to the NBA for promoting the league of anybody in history. History. Since 2017, 48% of the audience has left the NBA. And I say this to you, coming off the heels of the NFL dropping a schedule night, a schedule night. Think about that for a minute. Looking at our favorite pastime now, the NFL. We make shows now off of schedules. It's crazy, but I get it. I get it. You're not going to see any of those guys taking powders on a Sunday, Thursday, or Monday night. You're never going to see that. Hell, those guys don't like to come out of ball games if they're getting killed or they're killing a team. The players promote the league by playing. You don't have to get in front of a microphone. Please watch the NFL. Man, the NFL is so awesome because you know what it is? It's so much clarity, too. It's a tough guy sport. People go out there and play 
with broken spleens and ribs and fingers, put pieces of their body all over the field. The NBA guys, this, well, you know, I'm not really feeling well today. You know, Kyrie Irving's got some mysterious, like, ailment where I guess it's Tuesday. His ailment's Tuesday. Well, it's Tuesday, so I have to take a day off. I've been practicing and playing way too – you're like this. You know, and, and, and I've been saying this to everyone, the difference between the NFL and the NBA is that Americans, they are not jealous of what the NFL guys make. Okay? They're never jealous. But you know what they want? A dude that gets up off his ass every day at 6 a.m., goes to work until 6 o'clock at night, puts food on his table, and you know what they just want to see? Hard work, man. Americans are hard workers. This country was built with hard workers, dude. NBA guys go, well, you know, I don't feel like playing. They're the most non-engaging people on the planet when it comes to prom. Have you ever really seen Kevin Durant or LeBron James or any of those guys getting in front of a microphone and promoting the sport? That's why the NFL doesn't need their players. I remember all of them wear a helmet. It's crazy, isn't it? I could pick all them dudes out of a lineup anywhere, all the starting quarterbacks in the National Football League, every one of those. And it has now become the signature position in all of American sports is the quarterback position in the National Football League. Has it not? That's why the NFL protects it. That's why the NFL reveres it. That's why they're paying the guys. Have you ever seen an NFL quarterback hold out? Nobody holds out because you're going to get your money, whether it's going to be with a franchise tag. I mean, look at what – Dak Prescott made last year. And by the way, I'll talk about this a little later in the show. Do you know who the highest paid American sports athlete is? It's Dak Prescott. He made over $107 million last year. Excuse me? Dak Prescott made over $107 million last year. Okay. Yeah. Franchise tag, and I don't remember a lot of commercials. I remember a few, but you know why? He's the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback. you got Conor McGregor, and you've got Messi, and you've got Cristiano Ronaldo ahead of him. And the number one athlete in America, and I think Brady's like seventh or ninth or something on that list at $75 million. Dak this year alone is going to make $80 million between his base salary and the signing bonus, a portion of the signing bonus being given to him, that's going to make $80 million this year. Holy cow. Must be nice to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. The difference between that league and that league. And by the way, wake me up in June when the NBA Finals are around because you have nothing that's endearing to me as a sports fan. And I've been doing this for over 30 years. I could care less about the NBA. I could care less. There's nothing embracing about it. If you're in Philly, you're kind of interested on seeing them win the East. Okay, I get it. The Knicks are kind of decent. And then give me something else. We're talking Jaguars now. What? That's the greatness of the league. They care about the bottom dwellers. That's why they soften schedules up. That's why they give those teams the number one draft choices. That's why they help them. Instead of other leagues letting those teams just die on the vine. Baseball doesn't get it. There's no runs being scored. You kidding me, man? Put juice back in the damn athletes or something. How about this? Juice the ball back up. Whatever you got to do. 
Chicks and dudes dig the long ball. Oh, but it's the integrity of the – who cares? Look at how the NFL changes the rules every single year so the pass catchers can get more yards and nobody can touch the quarterback, and you can't mug the receivers coming across the middle. That's by design, friends. They want high-scoring ball games. Nobody wants to see a 14-7 Super Bowl. No. I can't do prop bets on that. Gambling is part of that process now. Can't have 14 to 10 games. Well, that was a really well-played game at 21 to 17. Who cares? Fringe fans, that's what they're trying to do. You see, I like to call it ruler TV. Dude, the people that care about the records and the integrity of records in a sport, you guys, man, you must be 75 years old. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You got to care about what's entertaining. Hey, baby, like everyone says, it's show business. It's show business. Integrity of the record books. Why do you think nobody watches the uh, Major League Baseball anymore? And the average age, according to Bob Nightingale of USA Today, is 54 years of age. 54? What about 1834? How many 1834s you think sit around with disposable time on their hands and watch a four-and-a-half-inning ball game? None. You know what they do? They go to their phone. They click. They watch the highlights. They get a nine-inning game inside of three minutes. Boom, I'm home. Gone. Why do you think Big Sills is making the transition from radio, sitting around? You think people listen to my radio show, my national radio show at night for three hours? I mean, I'd like to have an ego to believe that. I'm lucky if they get three and a half minutes of that person's time and attention each night. Boom, go. Let's go, man. Lure in, lure out. Boom. I'm, you know, sports programming and broadcasting now is like fly fishing. You can't just lay it out there and go like this any longer on the pond. Boom, boom. It's fly fishing. And that's what football gives you. And that's what the NFL does. Watch this. Draft. Write that on my calendar. Draft. Oh, they got a scheduled dropping night on Wednesday? Well, what's it? what else is on? Well, there's an MLB game on. Twins and Royals. Okay, give me another option. Well, we're dropping the NFL schedule. How about a basketball game? Yeah, the um, – the Grizzlies versus the Matt. Um, okay, what's that thing you said before? The schedule? Okay, I'll put the schedule on. NFL Pro Days before the draft. Okay, uh, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, all these dudes are doing this. Uh, yeah, I'll watch the Pro Days. The NFL is filling up the non-football fall calendar with benchmark things that you can start writing in on. Okay, Pro Day. NFL Combine. Okay, Indianapolis, Combine. You now have, and then free agency, June 1. Watch this. You got Combines? Pro Day, Draft, Schedule, Free Agency, June 1. Then you have Training Camp, July 27th. NFL's got your attention. NFL's got your attention. They are the king now at TV. Why do you think these television contracts are off the charts now? We brought this up yesterday. 
and we'll continue to bring it up. You think people get paid and all these owners get paid on people that roll into the link or into MetLife or into FedEx or go out to SoFi? You think they get – there is money there. But, man, these owners make $350 million off the TV, all 32 of them. They get stroked a check for $350 million every January. $350 million. That's not counting stands in attendance, merchandising, commercial spot sales that they sell on the NFL Network. And remember, NFL Network, you know what that is, right? Well, they own all the properties for that, which means they own all the advertising dollars. They made that network for a reason. NFL's got your attention. Pretty soon, these other sports like NBA and Major League Baseball, where are you going? You've got to do something to stay in the room with the Joneses. And I mean that, the Joneses, because Jerry's got a lot to do with that. It's crazy when you see the scheduling. Okay, so what do they do? They open us up with Bucks at Raymond James. Home of the defending Super Bowl champions. Let me guess what team has the biggest ratings every year. The Cowboys? It's a no-brainer. Dak Barkin, well, you know, it's not about rings. Hey, Dak, this just in. It is. It is just about rings. Okay? See, the problem with the Dallas Cowboys is when they put the star on their helmet, they actually think they're a TV star instead of a football player. And because you put that helmet on, you know you're going to be front and center all the time when it comes to television because you're going to have marquee games because you are the marquee team. You're the most expensive franchise in all the world. Look at this. Look, look at what the Cowboys have done here. And you have to understand something. The Cowboys haven't been to an NFC championship game in 27 years. You think the Cowboys deserve all of those Primetime games, the only reason that they deserve all those primetime games is because they're on TV all the time. Jerry's marketed it like nobody else. They took what Tech Schramm did, Tom Landry, and Clint, Mitch, Clint uh, Merchinson, who owned the team back in the day, and they've expanded the Dallas Cowboy brand across the world. Dallas Cowboys are more valuable than Manchester United. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, those Premier League teams are worth billions of dollars. The highest paid athletes in the world are soccer dudes. I know outside of our country, okay, you know, nobody likes soccer in America. But there's a reason for that. It's more accessible to every kid in the world, not in America, because you got to pay twenty-five dollars to $30,000 just to go to those camps, just to be in consideration for like Team USA. So we'll never have our best athletes because around the world, they open it up for kids who don't have a lot of money, not in this country. It's an elite sport in America. It's not an elite sport around the world. That's why everybody can play it around the world. Not everybody can play it after high school here. So all the major athletes go to NBA or they go to the NFL. That's why we'll never, we will always be NC State on the world when it comes to soccer. But in this country, football's it, man. This is our sport. This is our thing. It's like the NHL in Canada. This is our thing. 
<clears throat> the highest revenue team in the world of the Cowboys and the number one athlete in America and in the world is an American quarterback that hasn't won anything from Dallas, Texas. His name is Dak Prescott. That is the magic of the National Football League. So you put Cowboys and Bucks on the opener. And isn't it great to see Tom Brady trolling the Cowboys? He trolls the Cowboys. Oh, America's team. It's jealousy, but that's okay because Tom likes the eyeballs on him. Oh, and for the record, man, I got to tell you this. I love the new Tom Brady, how he trolls people now. You, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know what Tom Brady reminds me of? You know you're like with a chick for a long period of time, right? Or you're in some relationship with somebody. You got to kind of watch your P's and Q's. Yes, dear. No, dear. Yes, dear. Trust me, I know. Yes, dear. Yeah, I've been married for 33 years. Oh, yes, dear. No, no. What are we having for dinner? Whatever I'm cooking. That's great, dear. <laughs> hey, trust me. I get. Hey, I got that, my dear, down better than anybody on the planet. Hey, what are we having for dinner? Whatever I'm making. Thank you, dear. <laughs> never, oh, no, I'm that guy. But Brady decided to break away from that person and Bill Belichick in New England. Now he's like doing videos with Gronk and, you know, he's doing Howard Stern and he's trolling people. You know, he, he went after like Patrick Mahomes, you know, all fun stuff too, man. Nothing like that will, nothing that will make you feel freaky over anything. He's not really being mean with anybody or anything. I think he's just having fun, man. You know what Tom Brady has right now? Tom Brady has FU money. He has built up so much equity with us, the fans, that get this. It's like this. I don't care what you think. I've got the best-looking woman in the world with Giselle. I've got seven. Here, when I grow up, I want to be this guy. You ready? Hey, man. Um, yeah, when uh, I get the best girl in the world, Giselle, she makes $55 million a year. She's Giselle. I got seven Super Bowl championships, countless conference title rings that I don't wear, of course. I keep that in the second drawer. You know, second drawer is kind of like the used socks and, you know, things you don't really use or care about. You know, he's got a top drawer where all the Super Bowl rings go in. I'd like to have a second. I'd like to have one second drawer. I'd like to have a third drawer, okay, with that guy. He's got a second drawer with all the conference championship rings. You know, you're like, I think there's 10 of them. And you're like this, okay? God, you can put a conference championship ring on every finger. Okay. Do you know? Hey, here's another stat about that guy, Brady. Just to add to this guy's greatness, do you know that he's played in 24% of all Super Bowls ever played? And that every other year he's been in the league, he's been in that game. What? What? <laughs> what? And now get this. This is how the NFL has set this schedule up. So now if he averages, I think, 243 yards for the first four games, when he rolls into the house that Brady built, Gillette, he rolls in that night. And it, by the way, it's quirky Boston fan. Quirky Boston fan is not quite New York or Philly. See, they're the dude in the middle 
of those two cities. You see, Philadelphia and New York fan, they hate their life, okay? And I'll explain what I mean there because I'm from that area too, okay? I'm from the New York area too, so I'll tell you what I mean. Boston guy is this guy. Yeah, man, he's ours. No, not any longer. And by the way, he sold his house and he wanted nothing to do with Boston anymore. That's why he's down in New He's down in Tampa now, and they just bought a brand-new compound in Miami in Palm, Palm Beach. No, no, he liked playing for the Patriots. He was never a Boston dude, okay? He was not – Bill Russell was never a Boston dude. You ever see Bill Russell floating around Boston? and He don't go back there, okay? Guys like Yastrzemski, guys like Bobby Orr, Bird. Bird barely does it. He hangs out in French Lick in Indiana. It's where he's from. Boston guy is kind of fickle. He's like, he's kind of like a weird fan. Yeah, man, that's our guy. And you're rooting for the dude to win a Super Bowl in Tampa. You see, if Tom Brady played for the Eagles or the New York Giants and you roll back into Link, you know what you're going to get? <laughs> By the second quarter, I'm throwing batteries at your ass. Hey, it. I like the logo on the helmet more than I like you. I don't care who you are. And then, by the way, when everything is all settled and you're out of the game, come on back in. You're a great Patriot. You're a great Eagle. You're a great New York Giant. Come on. It's all right. It's all, come on. Come on. Okay. You know what? No hard feelings, you know? It's all, about being, it's all about being loyal to the soil. See, Boston's not really loyal to the soil. But Philly and New York is. You think Tom Brady's going to get four quarters of people cheering, cheering for you at the link or up at MetLife or in Pittsburgh for that matter? You, you think that really is going to go down like that? You're going to get this for a quarter. Like when he goes back to Gillette, these guys are going to be going, oh, he's ours. There he is, dude. That's because, you know, you're not truly, you know, I don't know. You're not miserable like we are. You see, this is what we always do when we live in that part of the country. I mean, that was great. We won the championship. Fantastic. Wonderful, man. All good. Everything's fantastic. Can you do it again? Can you do it again? That's what I'm looking for. Brady goes up there and breaks that record on national television. You know, it'll be a national television game. <sighs> I never looked at Tom Brady, though, as being one of those guys that was really chasing records. I always thought he was chasing rings. I really probably don't think he gives a rat's ass about Drew Brees' record. But you know what? When you play for such a long period of time, all that starts to accumulate. And before you know it, you look up, someone tells you that you're on the cusp of being the all-time leading passing yardage guy. Again, think about that record that Brees owns. I own the all-time yardage for passers in NFL history. What would you rather own? The regular season most wins by a quarterback, the postseason most wins by a quarterback, the Super Bowl records for completions, yards, attempts. I, I, I'm going to stop there because he owns them all. I don't think he owns a quarterback rating. I think that's Montana still. Montana had a 135.8. That's like the highest you can get. You know why? Joe threw 15 touchdowns and no picks in any Super Bowl he played in. Pretty impressive. Four Super Bowl wins, 4-0. Oh. 
No interceptions, 15 touchdowns, no. I mean, that's probably one of the only records he doesn't own is quarterback rating. The guy is the ultimate 1-0 and player of all time. I've said this to you, man. A guy doesn't give a crap about what he did. He only cares about where he's going. That guy's more of a front window dude, you know? He looks out in the car and he's looking right through the window, right? He's not looking in the rear window. He's not doing any of that. That's what makes me really love this opener on that Thursday night game. NBC's got it. Then they go into the weekend. A matter of fact, you know what? We'll take a look at, you know, some of those intriguing games. And by the way, I'll tell you what I also want to do sometime over the next couple hours here is I want to look at the hardest roads to get to uh, the Super Bowl because strength of schedule is going to play into it. But, you know, that really doesn't really always, you know, go down that way because injuries happen. I told you this yesterday, the war of attrition. All right. Would we all agree that the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC the last three years has gone through Kansas City? It's gone through Kansas City the last three years. I mean, they were a they were a penalty away, the Chiefs, from going to three straight Super Bowls. Think about that for a minute. Remember that overtime? Brady ended up getting the ball. Chiefs never got the ball back. That's one of the reasons they changed the overtime rules was because – Mahomes never got the ball back, and they had a home field. Never got it back, and a coin flip actually determined that game. That sent the Patriots to the Super Bowl. We're going to talk to one of our friends, Bill Moss. He is a former NFL Rookie of the Year defensively, a former Pro Bowler, and we'll get his thoughts how they locked and loaded this offseason. They got Orlando Brown. How did they do in the draft? We'll talk to our friend. We'll do it next. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. 
and I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. here on the National Football Show. We welcome you aboard here. We're efforting our friend Bill Moss, who works with the Kansas City Chiefs, and get his thoughts on that football team's offseason and get his thoughts on, again, you know, every team has a window. And when you have a signal caller like Patrick Mahomes, dude, you have now an opportunity over the next couple of years to really make some hayway on being a true player when it comes to the AFC. I mean, Kansas City, in my opinion, you got look at the job that Andy Reid has done. He has absolutely set the culture in that building. And there is no doubt that that football team, and I think the AFC may run through Kansas City again. And we bring our friend on, the former defensive rookie of the year, former pro bowler, works right, right with the Kansas City Chiefs, our friend Bill Moss. Bill, how you doing, brother? What's up, Sil? How are you, bud? All good. Bill, let's start with the Chiefs here, man. Um, here, I'll start right with what I, what I just said here. You think the AFC still runs through Kansas City? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's there's some teams on the horizon that are that are getting a lot of talent behind them and look pretty explosive with young quarterbacks. But, you know, I, I've i never, and I, I've said this for two years now, I, I've never seen anything of the likes of Patrick Mahomes. He's, he's redefined the position. He's redefined how to play that position. Uh, and the things that they're able to do with him and with Andy Reid's mind, uh, it's just a, it's a perfect storm. Would you agree, Bill? I said this a couple years ago when he first burst on the scene and he got the job handed to him or earned from Alex Smith that the only other guy I remember, Bill, during our time was when Marino burst on the scene and he was throwing that ball 35 times a game. He was making not just the intermediate passes, but just blowing the tops off of defenses and no one had ever really seen that style of play. And I think Mahomes has had that kind of impact this time in the league. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think it's real fair to say. And, you know, Dan sat there for probably the first six games of the season, too. He wasn't thrown right into the mix. He he learned a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, with Patrick, the way his rookie year went and how it unfolded, everybody knew in the building you know, how special he was just watching him at practice and the things that he could do. And when he started that last game of his rookie year in Denver, uh, everybody w- was like, wow, look at this kid, you know. Um, but it's not just the arm strength. It, it, it's really not. To me, Dan, it, it's his vision of the field. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback have the type of vision he is. Andy Reid speaks about it all the time when he talks about Patrick, about his vision. He sees things from sideline to sideline unfolding, and, and he's able to – you know, react to that and lead his receivers uh, down the field. And that's, that's what's so amazing to him. If you look at slow motion when he's looking and running and looking and one, two, three, four, then come back over here and still see the defenders and see the field, it's, it's that's what separates him from anything I've seen. 
How important was it to get a guy like Orlando Brown? It's one thing, Bill, to go into the draft and address, you know, uh, positions that you need to fill holes at. at. You want to get, you know, benchmark guys in there. You want to get core group of guys. I understand the importance of the draft. But when you get a guy like Orlando Brown that is still in his prime like that, how important is a sign like that? Well, you know, what happened last year to the offensive line was really one of those things you just unforeseen. You know, you lose your right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz. You, you lose Eric Fisher was banged up all year, and then he pops the Achilles before the, you know, in the playoffs. And uh, and then the center got hurt and guard left, and uh, Tardif went, took the sabbatical for a year uh, to help uh, patients in Canada with COVID. Uh, that was that was a tough, unforeseen deal, you know, but they they sat back and looked and they said, wow, OK, let's go out and fill this need and we're going to protect our five hundred million dollar quarterback. Right. And and they did. And they went out in the draft and did it with Creed Humphrey. They brought in Joe Dooney, uh, Austin Blythe, uh, Orlando Brown, Kyle Long. I thought Kyle Long was the best guard in the league, hands down, uh, when he was healthy. Uh, hopefully he, he can get back to somewhere in that category again. And with, with Brown, uh, he's, he's a machine. Remember his dad? Yeah. Oh, what a, what a player he was too, right? I mean, <laughs> right on dude. I mean, you didn't, you didn't want to get in a mess with them. You didn't want to tangle with those guys. So, and that's what his son is. Absolutely. Bill, you know, I, 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 I talked to Lee Steinberg about the contract that Patrick Mahomes and him constructed. And it was so team friendly for the Chiefs. And what they did was they gave the Chiefs a lot of off ramps for them. And what I mean by that is they gave them ability to be able to restructure contracts in case they have to go back and address the offensive line or address a defensive player. And to me, you know, maybe this is something that Aaron Rodgers is not doing and never has done. And maybe some of the other quarterbacks and why they don't you know, they look around the room and they're wondering why, like maybe Russell Wilson, that they don't have more talent. And that was what Brady did up in New England. That's what he's doing now down in Tampa. How important is that to have that type of team-friendly contract when you're getting that kind of money? Well, I, I think it's real important. And you have to you have to give and take in those kind of situations. And, you know, as, as the salary cap goes, every time they restructure, that's you get a new signing bonus, Right. Yep. And it's a high amount because you can string that out over the course of the rest of the years that you signed for. So it becomes player beneficial. Uh, it benefits the player for sure. I think um, some people might argue that in a different manner, you know, money now is money now. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Patrick is his talent, you know, is, is second is second best feature next to his, his makeup and, and how he's molded and his mindset. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. You can't fabricate uh, the, the type of person he is. Uh, it's going to catch up at some point in time. It's going to be unveiled. I mean, he is everything as built. Everything he speaks about, everything he talks about, everything he does is, is what he feels about uh, his family, his, his friends, and, and his team. You know, Bill, I can't – you know, there's certain places that people get signed to and they get to play at those places. Marino in Miami – I mean, I don't think Dan could have asked to be around a better coach than than Don Shula in that environment with the Robbies. Or how about Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh? You know, if he goes to San Diego or he goes to New York, who knows what happens to Big Ben there? There's certain John Elway to Denver. 
there's certain guys that look like they just fit in. I mean, I'm mean, the environment around him in Kansas City. I've been there. I've played at that Arrowhead. I mean, it's the loudest stadium in the in the NFL. If maybe you can argue it rivals college football stadiums, but he couldn't have landed in a better place, could he have? Not not at the time he did. When he landed in Kansas City, Kansas City had it was it was rock solid. It was sound. Um, everything was in order. And that hadn't always been the case uh, in Kansas City. Um, there was coaching changes all the time. There was front office problems. There was scouting issues. There was, you know. Uh, but when Andy got there, it kind of just went like that. It just yeah. it, it, it ended. And he brought in the people around him that, you know, worked with him, could work with him. Uh, he he's he's not afraid to delegate uh, uh, things to do. You do this, you do this. You're in charge of this, and here's here's our goal. There's a plan in place, and and when you have a solid foundation like that, when you have a solid solid front office like that, it sure makes things a heck of a lot easier. And and you talk about Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, Pittsburgh has been rock solid for the Roonies forever, right? Yeah. Uh, when you when you when you land in a solid place and they know what they're doing and they go about things the right way um, and they draft and they know how to draft and they know how to evaluate. All those things are really important. And, and by the time Patrick got there, it was everything that Andy Reid ever dreamed about. I've known Andy a long time and we he's always talking about quarterbacks. And when he's back with Brett Favre, heck, he, he worked my football camp in Kansas City when he was an offensive line coach down at MU. And and we talked about he he loved Michael Vick. He loved athletic quarterbacks. That's why he got Donovan McNabb. He, he loved Jake Plummer. He loved guys that could do other things than drop back seven yards, stand there like a statue. And he got the best gift he could ever get when he got Patrick Mahomes. I mean, the, the guy's just glowing. He wants to he wants to coach as long as Patrick Mahomes is there couple more questions for you, Bill. I, I, I want to ask you about Andy Reid now. In Kansas City, you know, you say he puts this environment together. John Dorsey, I think, did a nice job before he exited there when it came to putting some of the talent with Andy, working with him. That dynamic didn't work out. Andy takes more control. I'm wondering, all the things that happened to Andy at the end in Philadelphia, being around the front office that's a meddling front office, you always got the GM worrying about the day-to-day -day roster on a Sunday. You got an owner that parachutes in and tries to make calls on draft day. I wonder how much of that that he wanted to clear the noise out. And you have to have one dude in charge. Like Jimmy Johnson was the one guy in Dallas or up in Seattle. Pete Carroll's the number one guy or in New England. You know, there's no coincidence, Bill. Those guys are head jurors. You know, they're the head chief in charge and everything runs through them. I wonder, you know, getting rid of John and all that and him being the centerpiece there, how important was that for him to calm that environment down and build that culture? So, you know, John was great at talent. You know, look at the people he drafted. Oh, yeah. Most of them are still here. He, he He's great at talent evaluator. The salary cap, now that was a different issue. And, and so when you have to – you have to – you have to be able to spread the wealth to a lot of players to build a good team. Pass rushers are important, right? You get a good pass yep. rusher, you got to pay them. Cornerbacks are, are really important, as you know, in this league now. Uh, right tackle, left tackle, a quarterback, a playmaker. So the money that's spent on those things, you and and then getting other guys 
the right guys to buy into what you're doing. That takes an art on in and of itself. Right? Managing the cab is an art. And so I, I think Brett Veach is really, really good at that. And it, it, it didn't disrupt anything. Uh, it helped things. And and we got talent. And then Brett came in and found a way to, to keep that talent and go out and have enough money under a salary cap to get more talent. So it, it's really worked out well. And all the, all the pieces are in place. Finally here, Bill, uh, you know, I, I tell people this, I never look at the draft as saying how a team did in the off season, because the majority of these kids that were drafted a, a week ago, um, they don't even own their helmet yet. Okay. So I say this, you have to look at free agency and you have to look at the draft all encompassing. How do you think the uh, chiefs did? And do you think they're primed for another role at a super bowl? Yeah, you know, they they in free agency, they drafted, uh, they went out and participated in that. They picked guys up, obviously, you know that. Uh, Lando Brown's one of them. Uh, Jerron Reed in Seattle, uh, another defensive lineman, a pass rusher, uh, friends with uh, Frank Clark. Uh, they know each other. They, they The two bad boys, they, they like to get after a quarterback. Um, then they went out and picked up other guys, pieces, and, and reached out and got needs that they had. And they, they weren't shy about cutting players. And moving on. And and when you're ahead of the curve in doing that, now we don't like that as players, of course, especially if we're on the cutting edge of it. But when you can see ahead, hey, you know, it might be time here, cut bait, let him go and see what he can do. And then we're going to try to fill in and grow. And that's they've got that down. They're, they're really on top of it. So um, all all healthy. I expect uh, some huge things again for for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Okay, well, you know, there's a rumor in Pittsburgh that I have to ask you. Dave Pizzulli told me that he found you on a park bench um, and he adopted you when you were in Pittsburgh. Uh, is it a true story that down in Oakland he found you on a park bench? Yeah, he, he gave me a, a dirty old hot dog. Okay? <laughs> he invited me up to his room and somehow I got a scholarship. <laughs> Hey, Bill, it's always great catching you. I'm proud to be one of your boys, man. I'll always be one of your guys. Yeah, Thank you, Bill. Good to see you, brother. You got it. That is Bill Moss, a former All-Pro, and, of course, the former Defensive Rookie of the Year. He works with the broadcast team for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs, I'll say it again to you, my friends. Okay? I mean, last three years, it's gone through KC and it's gone through Arrowhead. Will it? Go through Arrowhead again. We'll take a brief time out. We'll take a look at some of the teams that are going to have a tougher road on how that schedule broke out last night. We'll do it next year on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive. Grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. 
The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. National Football Show with Dan Silvio. Top of the hour. We are going to have one of the absolute living legends in sports talk radio in Philly. Howard Eskin ruled the airwaves, and now he does television for one of the local affiliates there, and he covers the Eagles pretty extensively. And he still does radio, but Howard has... Covered that team ever since my friend Jerome Brown played there. And we had Frank Reich on with us, the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts, a couple days ago. And I thought there were some revealing things inside that interview. We asked questions. Who made the initial call on Carson Wentz? We're going to ask Howard that. He was the number one target, Carson Wentz. So immediately when you hear the Colts saying that, that conversation had to start early in the process, like basically when the regular season ended. And then how did Nick Sirianni get into the picture? Quite frankly, folks, I had never heard of the guy before. And so in that process of the Carson Wentz deal, how did Sirianni's name get brought up? How did that guy land a coveted job and taking over for a guy that had just delivered Philadelphia their very first and only Super Bowl? How do you take that guy out of that chair? With, and I'm not saying any shade on Nick Sirianni. And anybody that throws shade on someone who doesn't have a coaching record, it's one thing for me to bang on John Gruden. It's another thing for me to bang on a guy who's 0-0. I don't know. Did you actually think when Bill Belichick got hired again after the debacle in Cleveland that when he went up to New England after what happened with the Jets – where they had to do all that funky stuff to do trades. And remember what um, Modell said to Bob Kraft? It'll be the worst hire of your life. ESPN and everybody were saying, the Patriots are hiring Bill Belichick? Are you kidding? Well, you're wrong. So you don't know how this stuff pans out. Man, this is all going to come down to if Sirianni has a quarterback. Watch this. If Nick Sirianni has a quarterback, 
He will be Doug Peterson. If he doesn't, he'll be Rex Ryan. I don't, or he'll be Bill Belichick, Cleveland edition. You don't have a signal caller. I don't care if you're Don Shula. I don't care if you're George Hallis, Vince Lombardi. I don't care if you're Andy Reid. You don't have that dude in the room. You ain't winning. Plain and simple. What? The only coach that I can ever think that won Super Bowls with like other dudes is Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs won with Joe Theismann. Doug Williams was a journeyman. And Mark Rippon, who was kind of a journeyman. He's the only guy to win multiple Super Bowls with like multiple dudes. Remember, Shula didn't win with, uh, with, with Marino. He only won with Greasy. And when he was the head coach of the Colts, he bombed the Super Bowl three. So it wasn't like he was winning a boatload of those games too with one dude. But he had a dude in Greasy. And funny, it was Greasy, not Marino, that delivered him the goods. Look, look, look at that, that dynamic. Let, let, let's look at the great, the great coaches slash quarterback combination. Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman, Dynasty. Bill Walsh, Montana, Dynasty. Belichick, Brady, Dynasty. Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, Dynasty. Hey, dude. I mean, you could even you could even go Shanahan, Elway. Look at that. You have to have that dude in the room. You know, this is one of the things that I've always told people that one of the reasons why I've always thought LeBron James failed in the NBA, and I, I say failed, he's like four and six. Is that correct in the postseason finals? Who are his coaches? Who are, who are his coaches? Ty Lue? I mean, really, Ty Lue, Fogel, who are those dudes? Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson, 6-0. Kobe and Shaq had Phil. Remember, Kobe and Shaq were together in L.A. Until Phil showed up, not even Rudy Teal won back-to-back championships with the Rockets and Olajuwon. Did, he needed, they needed another dynamic. Every, you, you, Joe Torrey, Derek Jeter. I mean, look at the great teams. All of them down the line, man, have had the manager, the coach, and the player, and they all worked in sequence with one another. Very seldom do you see a coach or manager just do it, and there's no one in the building, that those guys all had a partner. You have to have an on-field, in-the-locker-room partner, along with the dude on the sidelines or in the dugout or on the bench, or behind the glass, whatever you want to call it, okay? What, you think those Scotty Bowman championships that he won in the NHL when he was there in Montreal or he was in Pittsburgh or anywhere he won those titles, he didn't have great players like Guy Lafleur on the ice or Mario Lemieux? Everybody has that dynamic. You all have that dynamic in the room. You have to have it. And that's why you look at LeBron's postseason record compared to Brady. Brady's got Belichick. He's got seven and three in Super Bowls. What? I still even find that remarkable, that stupid number. Seven and three? 
like I said, he's got 10 conference championship rings. He keeps in the second drawer. I think that's really – it's unbelievable. All right. I, I teased this coming out of Bill Moss, and it was great to catch up with Bill. The teams that look like they're going to have the toughest road to get to Los Angeles because the Super Bowl is in SoFi. And the Steelers, if you're looking at the schedule gods from the NFL and Park Avenue, have a 574 schedule that has been put in front of them. I think the number is 155 and 115 and 2 with common opponents. Here's the problem with that. When you're putting strength schedule together and you're talking, see, this is not like college football here where you kind of know your opponents. You know, when you schedule the college football schedule, you kind of know your Southeastern Conference teams and they schedule these things out like three years in advance. So you kind of know your non-conference games. The NFL does it different, man. They have the system that they do. And plus they work with the television networks. They want to make sure they're all hand in hand with one another. Yeah, the Steelers have a 574 record. They're going to have more of an issue trying to get into the postseason. I don't necessarily see that. because And, and here's something else you got to look at, too. Do you truly believe that the Buccaneers are going to go undefeated and go 17-0 this year? One extra game being added, obviously. You think they're going 17-0? I don't. You got to go East Coast, West Coast. You know, there's the, the Rams – Patriots, then you go down to South Florida and you play in Miami. And when you're playing in Miami early on in the year, you got to play uh, in that humidity. Now it helps that Brady's in Tampa because the humidity is almost the same. Believe me, that's a factor. But the traveling starts to get you. Older guys are on that football team like Gronk and Brady themselves. You're going to need a respite. I guarantee you this, a lot of the time that the the – Buccaneers are going to be traveling this year. They're going to be staying on the road for a couple weeks in certain sections of the country because, hey, getting on that airplane, getting in that baggage claim area, getting on that back of the the airplane, even though they make it convenient for the players because they're all charters, man, it's a pain in the ass. Sleeping in a different bed, doing it, it it's, it's really ridiculous. It really is. I mean, I had a couple years of doing that and flying across the country. I one time did this. We, I was with the Buccaneers, and we flew to Seattle. It's like a seven-hour flight. Then the next – we came home. Then the next week, we had to fly up to New York and play the Jets, okay? Then the following week, we went to Chicago. So we went like this. We went boom, boom, boom before we got back home again. Man, you got back home. You were like, man, I'm eating crappy food. I'm in a crappy environment. Holy cow. And, and you know what? They try to make it as cool as they possibly can in these elite hotels, five-star hotels. It's just still not the same sleeping in your bed. You don't think the Buccaneers had a massive advantage after they won that championship game versus the um, uh, the Packers in the NFC title game that they were sleeping for those three weeks prior to the Super Bowl uh, in their own beds. You get the week off. Then you get the week, and then you play the game the following week. So those three weeks, the Buccaneers were at home in their own bed eating their own food. could tell you something, freaks. <laughs> that was a huge advantage in that ball game. You know, you, got, you, you get your family out of the room. You keep them away from you a little bit because it is the Super Bowl. But I can't tell you what an advantage that is. So you've got to look at the travel. You can't just look at the record. The Ravens are a good football team. They're always going to be playing 
a tough schedule. I think it's 563. It's a tick under. Look at the division they're in. The Bears are going to be in for a long haul, and they got to figure out the quarterback position. Is Justin Fields? How soon do you put that dude in a game? How about this one, too? Packers got the fourth toughest schedule right now. They've got a boatload of primetime football games. Okay, a boatload of primetime games. Now, that's all under the cusp of making sure that Aaron Rodgers, okay, making sure that Aaron Rodgers is on that football team. Rodgers is not on that Packer team. That's a four-win team. Rodgers is on that team. I'll give him 13-3 again. The NFC North, I mean, really, Vikings, Lions, <laughs> right? The Bears, the Packers are going to own that division. They're like so going to own that division. So, I mean, you know, the, the Bengals have a tough road, and especially with a young quarterback, man. Lions and Bengals are tied, I believe, for sixth. Then the Raiders get – I don't know if you guys saw the Raiders ending to their season. Guys, the Raiders ending to their season, the last four games are all against playoff and Super Bowl contending teams. John Gruden is 19 and 29 going in to this year. This is the fourth year he's been there. If you don't turn this thing around, when? When do you turn this thing around? Okay, when do you turn it around here? All right, let's bring our friend now, Philadelphia icon, our dear friend Howard Eskin, as he joins us now here on the National Football Show. Get him here in a second. We're trying to bring him up here in a second here. We'll bring Howard in here and get his comments on some things that we saw with Frank Reich and the things that we kind of like talked with with Frank the other day. And you, you could get a sense, and, and there's no question, that that was a number one priority for them to be able to um, to get Carson Wentz there in Indianapolis. And here he is with us now, our dear friend Howard Eskin from WIP in Philadelphia, and also covering the Eagles and everything going on in Philly. Howard, thanks so much for doing this, brother. No problem, Dan. How are you today? All good. We had Frank Reich on with us the other day, Howard, and I asked him a question. I go, who made the call to start the trade for Carson Wentz? And tell me if you're shocked or not that the owner called, and it was Jeffrey Loria, according to Frank, and we did that interview with him. We posted it, and he said that the owner called, and then right after the owner called, then Howie Roseman called. What would you make of that? Um, I'm a little surprised. Uh, the owner gets involved. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie does get involved, but I'm a little surprised that he would make the call because the general manager really has to sign off. Well, he has to sign off on what the deal is going to be. I I'm a little surprised that he made the call, but I'm not surprised that they traded him. And I have different reasons why they traded him. I know people have heard all these different things about Carson Wentz and he's, you know, he's not liked by people in the locker room. How many guys 
in the locker room love each other. Everybody <laughs> loves each other 100%. It doesn't work. Uh, it's, it's America. It's human nature. So that doesn't happen. I haven't found, and I've talked to players since all this stuff came out. One of them, and I'll say, was Chris Long, and he doesn't know what people are talking about. And I've talked to other people, and he said he was fine. Was he different? I don't know that he was different, but, uh, you know, he just wasn't playing well enough. But here's my belief on why the Eagles wanted to try to move on. You, in today's world of the NFL, I don't think, and maybe they share the same feeling, you can win with a quarterback making really gigantic money because then you don't have enough money for all the other players. And Kansas City got there even though they paid Patrick Mahomes because they're not paying him that big money yet. Uh, when you look at the players that are getting the big money, when they do, I don't know when Dak Prescott gets that money, but the Cowboys are done once he gets that money because it, it's just not going to work. If the Buffalo Bills sign Josh Allen, which they will do, they're going to have to win before you get to that point, or you're going to have to be better than what the average is of successful picks in the draft. A good average is around, from what I understand, like 52 to 54%. If you're not at least at that average, you've got no chance because then you can pay players cheap while they're on their first co- ch- cheaper while they're on their first contract. So I think because the Eagles were so tapped out with uh, cap money and there's, they don't have it this year and next year they hope to get themselves out from under, but they can do that because they traded Carson Wentz. And if they didn't think that he was going to be good enough, especially for that money, good enough, meaning get to the Super Bowl. They wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl without him, even though he got hurt. He still got hurt after 13 games, and they were 11-2. and two. Uh, They they want to see about Jalen Hurts. And if Jalen Hurts isn't good enough, if you get the right picks, they have three, they'll have probably three first-round picks, assuming that Wentz plays 70% of the snaps. Uh, they'll have a chance to get another quarterback. So in the, in the world today, once Kansas City uh, gets to paying Patrick Mahomes that big, big money, I don't think they've got a shot. I don't think they've got a shot because they almost have to be perfect in the draft. You're, you're dead on, and that's kind of what happened to Baltimore under Flacco. You know, they gave him all that money. They had a jettison Anquan Bolden and all them dudes on the defensive side of the ball. But I think one thing that Kansas City has done, if you already noticed too, Howard, in January, they already had a restructure of that $500 million contract. I do think the one thing that they've put as kind of fail-safes and a team-friendly deal, they've given them off-ramps where they can restructure the contract because Brady's showing you, you're dead on. You pay a guy $50 million, unless you have restructuring mechanisms inside those contracts where the quarterback, if you feel comfortable, he's your guy, where you feel okay giving those brand-new signing bonuses to, and how many guys in the league do you feel that comfortable giving a signing bonus every year when you're going to restructure? You've got to have a lot of faith that that guy's your guy. And I think finding that guy like a Mahomes or a Brady, man, that's really like shooting in the dark there, trying to find that needle in the haystack. Right. That's why, you know, the more I think about the Green Bay situation, 
I know they didn't really want to trade Aaron Rodgers because then this year is kind of a wash, but you can't, and then they only have to keep him for one year anyway. So, because they can get out of that uh, contract, but you can't win with that kind of money where you can't pay the players that you need to play uh, that you need to pay. Uh, but now it, it's, uh, it's really a catch 22. It's an awful situation for the NFL teams because the quarterback money has gotten so ridiculous, so out of control. And, and everybody says, well, Brady took less money. Well, yeah, he did, but he got it. He got his money somewhere. And the other thing, and it was a story in the Boston Globe, uh, so don't feel sorry for Tom Brady. He His massage company that he has ownership in, uh, I don't know how large the ownership, but it's good enough that he's getting a lot of money, was the massage company for the New England Patriots. He got millions of dollars a year through that company with the massage company. And the Boston Globe pointed out one time, Brady, they didn't send a, a check. There was a couple of million dollars they owed. Brady actually, you know, uh, called up Robert Kraft. Hey, listen, uh, we didn't get the check yet. You know, so he's, worried about, <laughs> he's worried about the money. He's paid him how much money over 20 years? I mean, stop. Uh, hey, hey, Howard, I want to I throw something else at you too here. By the that way, that's was- beating the salary cap. Another way that the, New England Patriots under Bill Belichick continue to cheat. <laughs> yeah. let, let, let me let me let me throw this. I love that, by the way. Let me throw this at you too here on what Frank Reich said. I asked Frank, "Was Carson your number one target?" He went like this. He was our number one target immediately. Now, now Howard, that makes me think early in the process. And tell me if I'm wrong. And again, I couldn't believe Frank was saying these things. He goes. We, we identified this as soon as we talked to Philip Rivers. He was retiring, and that was early. That was like three weeks after the regular season. They said that the number one target was Carson Wentz. Well, three weeks after the season, that meant to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, that Jeffrey Loria and Howie Roseman had already determined that Wentz was not going to be on that football team no matter what. And in that process, all of a sudden, then they might have said, okay, how did the Nick Seriani conversation spark up? And in the middle of that whole thing, Frank's telling me, yeah, he, then they called me about the head coach. So in the process of trading Wentz, they got convinced on Nick Seriani during the Carson Wentz um, hiring. It's all in this interview. I was stunned. And get this. They determined in that process of hiring Wentz to fire Doug Peterson. Well, he, I, I, I will. Um, Doug was probably on shaky ground, which is amazing. Three years after a Super Bowl, I think it's only happened one other time, and I think George Seifert was the guy, but he was retiring anyway. Uh, and so it's it's only it's really never happened before. But uh, the problem there is Doug was tired of. Other people dictating his coaches, other people dictating his 53-man roster uh, for Sunday afternoons, and which coaches, no, you can't keep this guy, you can't keep this guy. Doug Peterson went in to that last interview or meeting, I'll say it was an interview, with meeting with Jeffrey Lurie and knew if he, he wanted to stay strong on two of the coaches, 
Dave Phipp, his special teams coach, and Press Taylor, who is his quarterback kind of offensive coordinator coach, and they didn't want those guys. And he knew by saying, I want these guys that he was going to be fired. So he basically fired himself, and he's got two years left on his contract. So he kind of fired himself, but he, it was kind of shaky. I don't know what – if he would have fired those guys, I think they would have uh, they would have kept him. But it, it's just uh, – it really is kind of a, an interesting situation that Sirianni got in there. But I don't think they were totally happy with Josh McDaniel. Matter of fact, I know they weren't totally happy. There was a division on who liked him, and he was one of the people interviewed. Uh, Deuce Staley, it's kind of sad that uh, they didn't really give him – they gave him a lot of interviews, but he's interviewed so many times, he really didn't have a shot, and that's why he had to leave. Uh, And the other coaches, there was so many of them that they ran through there. It's just like, how many coaches do you have to interview? And when Frank – and I didn't speak to Frank, but he sent me a text. He loved Sirianni. And he's a personable guy, and he's animated, and he's uh, he's got energy. And uh, in the interview process, they really liked what he did in the interview. So if Frank helped facilitate, it, facilitate that, it worked because they were really impressed uh, with him in the interview. Now, whether that means he's going to be a good coach, we don't know until, you know, until we see yeah. him go there. Everything's great now until you coach and you're in a tight game and the first year, I just don't think it's going to be a great year for the Eagles. And I'm saying great, but I don't think they're going to be, you can't be 500 unless you have a tie. It's because of this odd game, but I don't think they're going to reach that level. I'd be shocked if they had, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be surprised if they had eight wins, Uh, but they're not going to get nine. Uh, It's just that kind of team. There's too many question marks. So we'll see how good Nick Sirianni is in that, but he's got, got a ton of energy he's had some good news conferences with the media here on it's all on zoom as we know it's all on zoom uh he's had some good ones uh and then he had a real bad one the first one but he seems like he's got a lot of energy and he's excited and the players like that change is important in the pursuit of success and i've always believed that and sometimes you got to change things up and if it doesn't work, you're just going to get now because, and I don't know what Nick Sariani's getting his, his salary, but I know there's a lot of coaches that were hired this year. that were young guys that weren't making even close to what the big guys were making. You know, you'd figure a coach would get six or 7 million because there's guys making eight to 10 million. These guys now are getting three, three and a half million. So if you fire them after three years, what's the big deal? You've yeah. already, you're already ahead of the game. So that's not a big deal. It's, it's like, okay, he's out, he's in, we'll just go get somebody else. I think they now they're looking at, at, at quarterbacks. If Jalen Hurts is not good enough, they'll just go out and get somebody else, and they'll just try to keep one. And eventually you may hit on somebody. It's hard. Quarterbacks are hard unless you get really at the top of the draft. And then there's no guarantees for Trevor Lawrence. There's no guarantees um, for Zach Wilson. There's none of guarantees for anybody. Uh, so – you just move on. It's like Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be a real exciting wide receiver for the Eagles, but he's so small. After three years, I don't know if he's going to be beat up. But, you know, the way they look at it, well, so what? It's before he gets into a second contract. We'll just go out and get somebody else. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you worry about him at 165 pounds in the NFL. So uh, they just move on. That's just what it is. That's, that's sports. 
everywhere. I mean, that's everywhere. So you just don't pay the guys as much and you just get another guy. Uh, so, sure. but Nick Sirianni is it. Uh, I'm told by the people in the building and I have not met him yet. Uh, and, you know, I hear him on Zoom and you talk to him on Zoom, but that's not the same thing. But the people at the, at the Eagles facility tell me he is really, really a great guy, but he's got to be a good coach too. Two, two last questions for you, Howard. Um, Jalen Hurts here. Here's, here's why I like him. And tell me if you subscribe to this. I mean, I saw a great teammate with Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama. He's in that system. He wins. Nick Saban swears that this guy's one of the best players and teammates he's ever been around. He goes to another system completely different from the Alabama Sarkeesian system to the Lincoln Riley system. Players embrace him. You know, I think Brady's greatest asset is he's one of the best teammates you could possibly have in a locker room. He braces everybody. It just seems that players gravitate to this kid, and that means there's a command in the locker room. There, there's a there's a trust in the locker room. I'm not saying that this kid's going to go out there and be Kyler Murray or he's going to go out there and be Donovan McNabb, but it has to start with a presence. There seems to be, and I don't know if he's going to be a great quarterback like you say, but it just seems to me that he has a presence about himself that the organization felt comfortable moving up first to trade him in the, or to draft him in the second round and to kind of throw him the keys and to go out instead of drafting a quarterback right there at that spot. They went out and got him a weapon that he was uh, familiar with. Remember, this is familiarity too. Devontae Smith, Alabama, uh, him, Alabama at first. I mean, how do you look at how do you look at Jalen Hurts? Okay. Um he obviously uh, does have a presence with other players and they really do like him. And he's got a personality that, that they kind of uh, uh, they have obviously embraced. And when he came in, it was change and there was an excitement, but out of the four games he started, only two of them were good, not great, but good. And two of the others, he just didn't really have good numbers. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't good at making uh, all of his reads, but uh, that comes with experience. So we'll see because that's where you have to do it. You have to do it on the field. The only thing, and there's no, that's not really a negative. That's just a young quarterback. Yeah, correct. The only thing that, that I kind of wonder about, why did he not want to battle it out with Tua? And he decided to leave Alabama. He didn't want to battle it out. Agreed. When he went to Oklahoma. Uh, so, you know, I don't think two is really, uh, I don't think he's going to put it back in the NFL. So why did you give up? You know, if you're that good and you know, you're that good and you're at Alabama and you know, you have a better chance to win a national championship there than at Oklahoma, as good as Oklahoma is, you have a better chance there. Uh, why didn't you stay there? That's the only question I have. And unfortunately, you really can't get into that on zoom conferences because you have a limited time and you can't, you want to find out why he didn't take that and grab it by the horns. And apparently he wasn't happy with if Carson Wentz was going to be here, he wasn't happy with that. And he wasn't happy when he was taken out of the game against Washington. Now, whether people, if that game wasn't on national TV, nobody would have even talked about it. Oh, the Eagles dumped the game. And then the Giants are pissed because, oh, my gosh, they cost us the division. Well, 
you know, you, you cost yourself division, the division by winning what seven games. What, how many games did they win? Six or seven games. Come on, bro. Get, you know, play 500 and then, and then you can at least have a little bit of an argument. So just shut the bleep up. Another Bill Belichick fraud that comes out of that system in Joe judge. And I think he's a fraud because I think there's, there's never been, never been a Bill Belichick assistant that's had tremendous success in the NFL. Bill O'Brien's the only one, short time, but uh, you can't really call what he did success. So whatever the case, Joe Judge is whining. But what he wanted to do, Doug Peterson wanted to give Nate Sudfeld a chance to put something on tape, which was bad, and put something on tape so so he could get another job or help get him another job. And Jalen Hurts, they were losing the game when he was taken out of the game. Now, if he done, and he planned it pretty much all week. If he had done it at halftime, maybe people wouldn't have complained. But the reality is, I still got to, I still have to see Jalen Hurts be a better quarterback. And that's what he's, I mean, athletically he's great, but you can't run in the NFL and say, and that's what your primary weapon is uh, because you're going to get, you're going to get crushed. Uh, and that's not, it's not the way you win. It's easier to make third and nine with a pass than it is with a run when you really break it down. So we'll see how that works out. I don't know. Everybody in town's excited about him. But, you know, it's, there's going to be some tough patches for him and tough spots, I'm sure. And there's going to be times he's going to um, hear the Philadelphia fans and now his fans back in the stands. Uh, he's going to hear him boo if he doesn't do well. And he's going to call it, he has a term which Nick Saban's used called rat poison. I don't listen to all the rat poison. <laughs> he's got, I'll tell you what, he's got a cliche. This is what, it's interesting to listen to him because players all say the same thing after games and before. It's all the same thing at news conference. It's, it's you know, they're programmed to say what the PR people tell them to do. But he's always got a phrase. He says, I'm like a, I want to be like a coffee bean and be able to, a coffee bean i'm trying to figure out what that is and it just it's just you mix it mixes together with a lot of other good things that's his analogy of being a coffee bean so you know he's going to have those and it's going to be like what did he just say Uh, that's all right at least this gives us something to talk about but success it all comes down to w's and l's and the first year i think he'll get a pass but there'll be games, these fans, these fans don't put up with a lot. They're impatient. And now they see the schedule and some of these idiots out here now uh, on radio after the schedule came out. Oh, the Eagles are going to win 12 games. Are you on drugs? Uh, they're not going to win 12 games. <laughs> it's just, you know, and, and you know what? It, I want success because it's more fun, you know, standing there on the sidelines. You know, I was there for years uh, when – it's a blowout. And I said to the, the Eagles person next to me, I says, can we start the bus and get the hell out of here? <laughs> uh, hey, so, final question for you. Final question yeah. for you. Devontae Smith, I, I had a conversation with Cornelius Bennett yesterday about his thoughts on him having success at 165. He said, Dan, back in the day, you know, when we were in the league, you could mug these guys on the line of scrimmage. These guys – you know, the, the receivers back then weren't chirping, Howard, like they do today because you can't hit these guys today. You know, those those corners and those free safeties would knock the bleep out of you if you opened your pie hole. And you knew that was their territory, the linebackers and the strong safety. 
Today the game is so much wider open in the middle of the field. Do you think that's the reason why he has more success than, say, um, back in the day, like when Jerry Rice and those guys played? Because it's a different league today. Well, you can't touch him anymore. That's the problem. You can't I mean, call it holding, call it whatever you want. You can't touch him anymore. So that certainly gives players an advantage. But I don't know that he's going to go into the center of the field after the first time he gets hit. He will show me something. If he's back there again, catching a ball over the middle. Because somebody, they'll risk. They don't, nobody wants a fine. But if you're playing within the structure of the game and the guy's so little, he's going to go down. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens, but it is a different game. It, there's more space. You can't touch the the, the guys. Uh, it's hard with Devontae Smith to press cover him because he's so quick off the line of scrimmage. Uh, and if you dump the Eagles need another, they have to have Jalen Rager last year's first round draft pick and, you know, step up because if you have somebody else and it's going to be hard to double him, it'll be interesting to see what he has when he takes uh, he's going to get hit somewhere along the, the the way over the middle, but he's so fast. You got to catch up with him first. It, it's going to be hard to see, but the Eagles quarterback has to have time. So if he doesn't have time, it doesn't make any difference. You know, you got to have time. And the Eagles offensive line is interesting. The, there's a couple of guys coming back from injuries. There's some questions on the other part. Jason Kelsey is in probably his last year and he's a tremendous player. And they will really miss him when when he retires. But you got to give him time. You give him time, and then you can get the ball to Devontae Smith. Everybody's looking forward to that. But they're not going to win every game. And they're not going to win 12. If they win 12 games, I'll run down the main street here in my underwear. Uh, and I'm hoping for it. Because I, I, like, I lost like 30 pounds, so now I'm a sex symbol. So I can run down. Hey, Howard, I have before you go, I want to uh, congratulate you. You know, I tell my daughter, my daughter's asking me now, you know, how to get into broadcasting. My friend Mike Gullick got his kid into broadcasting and, you know, he's doing very well. It's always awesome. Phil Sims, too, we had on the other day, got his kid into broadcasting. You must be so proud, man. I mean, not only the job that he's been promoted to, but the job coming, you know, out of Andy Bloom and the job that he did by elevating the WIP to get that job at WFAN. You must be just so proud. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really sharp. He's not a kid anymore. He's a really sharp guy. He really understands uh, the things that need to be done. Uh, he he did it. Uh, he did it by himself. I didn't ask him or tell him or suggest to him to go into broadcasting. Uh, he was on the air. He he was a disc jockey. He was in. He did a lot of different things with music. I call it disc jockey. That's the old term. He was music. Uh, he was he was a lot of things. And then when he came to WIP, uh, he knew. I mean, he knew what needed to be done. But to get the job at, uh, at a station in New York, WFAN, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big job. And he'll be great. I'm sure he'll be great. But he did a lot of it on himself. You know, at the beginning, you help him. All right, you help him. When he was coming back to Philadelphia, they didn't want to pay him what he paid him. So I talked to the general manager. I said, you know, just give him a little more money. and He'll come here. And, and it really wasn't about, but he had principles. And then it worked out well for every one of them. But um, his boss in New York called me and told me he interviewed a lot of people. There was a lot of good candidates and he got the job. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to see him really succeed. 
all my kids are doing well. My daughter just got a new job. She works in the music business in Los Angeles. She went to Syracuse. She was a music major. I have a son that's got two management positions with Disney and 20th Century Fox does movies. So he's doing well. Another son is at IT for, for Comcast, which is uh, obviously a big company, and he's doing really well. So they're all doing well. They're all doing well. So And my daughter is working has a really good job at an advertising agency in New York. So they're kind of inter, intertwined a little bit in the business, but uh, I let them do whatever they wanted to do. And maybe because of what I did, there was some influence, but uh, whatever it was, I guess it worked. I guess it worked. And, and, and the 60-year-old dad's going to be running down Broad Street in his underwear if they're 12 and five. If they're 12 and five. <laughs> yeah. If, if they come down to the last game and they have 11 wins, I'm going to sabotage the bench. <laughs> Thank you, Howard. All right, Dan, anytime. You got it. Howard Eskin. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. We'll take a brief time out. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dick Sills. Love Howard Eskin, man. <laughs> you see him running down Broad Street, dude. Oh, no, I think he said underwear. That's right. Nobody on this show runs naked. I got it. Yeah. 
If that team goes 12 and five, no way, man. I had a guy last night on my national show tell me that they think that the uh, Eagles are going to go two and 15 this year. I don't think that much because the NFC least. Okay. You really think that the New York Giants have a good quarterback? Watch. No. Here's something else, too, about the Cowboys. So, like, the Cowboys, when they had Dak Prescott, they were one in, like, four, weren't they? When that guy got hurt? Okay, now, what makes me think they're better? Because they got a linebacker? That defense was a sieve. How am I – why do I go like this? Well, the Cowboys, because they gave that guy a king's ransom, are all of a sudden going to be better because they're paying him more? Dude, that guy's got one playoff win. Okay? He's got one playoff win. I'm like, Tom Brady's – get this – He's been in the NFL. How, how many years has Dak Prescott been in the NFC? Four years now? Tom Brady's got, like, more wins in the one year he's played in the NFC than Dak Prescott and Tony Romo have combined. And I think it's by double. You, look at that for a minute. Tom Brady's got more NFC postseason wins than both Dak Prescott and Tony Romo combined. But the Cowboys are better. Okay. <laughs> well, why would you think that? Is Zeke? Hey, and by the way, here. So you know, I'm not throwing shade on Dak. Zeke Elliott, dude. That guy's gas can. He's uh, a couple batteries, and he's a couple um, pistons shy of what he used to be. That engine ain't the same. You think that's a 115 yard guy a game? No way. You're lucky if that guy can tote up 71 yards a game. That ain't good enough at 14-5. You think Amari Cooper? Here's a Mar here's my impression of Amari Cooper, Cowboys wideout, that they made that trade with the Raiders. This guy's waving at I, – I always thought he was waving at people in the stands. But then I realized he was waving to come out of games. How about some of them Eagle games? I don't want to get any of them. <laughs> hey, dude. You play in them NFC East games, you got to get your hand down and you got to put your finger on the ground and you got to go hit somebody. You got to go hit someone's ass. Dude, not good. Not good. I don't, I look at the Cowboys and do this. Everybody's all love now with the money that they gave him. Just because they gave him the money don't mean that guy's going to have a successful season again. And outside of that first year that Dak played as a starting quarterback, you know why he had such a great first year? He had such a great first year because they didn't have tape on him yet. Remember, they went from Tony Romo right to him. And nobody had tape on him. They had to go back to Mississippi State when that guy had his tape there to get any kind of game preparation on him. Then all of a sudden, what happens? These defensive coordinators... These guys are like NASA engineers. You know what they'll do? They'll start putting sheets together and start doing this. This guy has a tough time when you move him around in the pocket. Here, I, I, I show you like what a lot of quarterbacks struggle on. Peyton Manning gets back, one, two, three, rhythm. Tom Brady, one, two, three, rhythm. Now, Brady's got it down to where he knows that, where everything is in front of him. I'm telling you, Tom Brady's a smarter quarterback than Manning was. Okay. Not by much. Manning is the second smartest guy I've ever seen play the position too. Okay, just so those two guys were just brilliant. But what you have is those great quarterbacks are rhythm passers. 
They drop back. You know, they're all rhythm guys. Dak Prescott's not a rhythm dude, especially when you have deficiencies in your O-line and he's got to move around in the pocket like that. I don't personally think he's really good in the pocket. And I'm not talking about taking off and trying to gain plus yardage. I'm talking about, I'll tell you a guy who's got great feet in the pocket, and you're going to be shocked, Ben Roethlisberger. When Roethlisberger drops back and he don't see a passing lane, you know what Ben does? Ben steps to his side. And what that does is it moves the free safety. And when you move the free safety, you're helping your wide receivers get more separation. Because what does that receiver have to do? If you step this way, that strong safety has to come back over here. That free safety has to step out, and you've got a pocket right there. These guys, what they're doing, every time those quarterbacks are back in the backfield and they go back and they step, what they're doing is they're shifting the defense. And they're shifting it like that around so that they can create like little lanes and create space for their wideout. The quarterbacks that just sit back there and they just don't help their receivers, you see them all the time. This is what happened to Wentz. Wentz is sitting in one spot. And what happens when Wentz and all of a sudden there's nothing open? Takes off minus yardage or sack. Instead of Wentz just moving to a side, he didn't need to get up the field. Look at Russell Wilson, how he moves around in the pocket. Russell Wilson moves around in the pocket to try to create space. It's a great thing that Drew Brees taught him. And not a lot of people understand this. Drew Brees doesn't, he doesn't have a seven-step drop. Drew Brees has a nine-step drop, okay? Most of the big-time quarterbacks, they'll get back and they'll get back into a seven. But Brees and Russell Wilson <clears throat> get back to a nine. Why do you think that is? They're short. They're six feet. They're 5'11 and 7 eighths. They can't see over the top of their guys. So they create more distance for them to be able to see the field more. It's a brilliant technique. Shorter quarterbacks, they'll take deeper. Kyler Murray takes a deeper drop. And Cliff Kingsbury now has taught him that, and they, they understood that, especially when they were also in college at uh, Texas Tech. So, like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is not the tallest guy on the planet. Jalen Hurts will get back. He'll step back one more, and he'll get back to a nine. Gives them a better vision of the field. Carson Wentz got back, and he's a big dude, right? He's 6'5", 6'4". He's sitting here tapping, tapping, tapping. Nothing's open. Everybody's jammed the guys that – you know, everyone knew at the end of the year last year how to stop Wentz. You know what that was? Man coverage. Jam him at the line of scrimmage. Don't let anything beat you over the top. And quite frankly, the Eagles didn't have anybody to go over the top. So all they did was, and once the tight end got banged up, he had nothing. So he's sitting back there. He's sitting back there taking off minus one yards. Now it's third and 10, third and 12. Sack. You're down inside the 20-yard line. You kick and you punt. The opposing team gets the ball on the 50-yard line. You're playing arena football. The Eagles gave up more field position just in a sequence right there. And look what you do inside of a football game over 65 plays. Think about that for a minute. Watch this. Say the opposing team doesn't score. 
watch what happens here when you do stuff like that. Okay, you start the ball on the 20. And this was this was the prime reason that Wentz failed last year. How many times did you see Wentz take a sack? All of a sudden, you kick it. They get the ball on the on their 45. They drive it. Three and out. Say so they have a three and out. Now they're on the side of the field of the Eagles. Not going to go for a field goal. They punt it. They punt them then inside the 10. And the Eagles now are like at the 12-yard line. In that whole sequence, look at the yardage that he gave up. He gave up eight yards. You do that over 65 plays in a game, you're constantly with the shadow of the goalpost over you. You're constantly in bad field position. And when you don't have people to throw to, and you don't have people to throw over the top to, you're just happy waiting for a sack. And the Eagles had no run game to support him. So it was a fundamental, technically, and him, falling into bad habits, what made him erode. That's why the great, the great quarterbacks, like Brady, and, and, and this, is a, this is a technique that I was taught by Bill Walsh, who won those four Super Bowls. When you have a young quarterback, I don't care how young he is. He could be in his third year still. Montana did this all the way until his fourth, fifth year, and he had already won Super Bowls. If you ever watch the great plays that Joe made, the catch in the back of the end zone, what is it a result of? It's a result of Brady, or excuse me, Brady, Montana, same guy almost, right? It's him rolling to his right because that's his – that's his strength side was his right side. Joe never really liked to go to his left. Everyone knew that. But after a while, Joe just went straight back to a seven-step. And when he did that, he was undefensible. You got Jerry Rice running down the scene, and you have Roger Craig coming out of the backfield, the first 1,000-yard receiver and the first 1,000-yard rusher in NFL history to do that. Think of that. That was in that Montana backfield. You had Le'Veon Bell before Le'Veon Bell and Roger Craig. And then you had Montana. Montana saw the whole field like Brady did. Joe saw everything. And But early in the career, they rolled him. Why is that? You roll him half the field so he can manage half the field. You only are looking because when you come into the league, you're like this. This is all you see. When you become more experienced – the field opens up more. You see more of the game. It slows down. And Montana, early in his career, same thing with Elway. Dan Rees rolled them to his strength side. And you only had to manage hash mark to sideline. And as you got more comfortable in the pocket, then it became more middle of the field, sideline. Then when you became the GOATs, like Montana and Brady, then they started throwing to the backside. That's why when Montana figured it out, look who Montana beat in Super Bowls, Elway, Marino. He beat those dudes in Super Bowls and was 4-0 in them, had 135.8 quarterback rating, which is the greatest in quarterback Super Bowl history. 15 touchdowns, no picks. I mean, you couldn't defend him with Jerry Rice and him. And in today's game, those guys would throw for 10,000 yards a year because you couldn't mug the receivers. Back then, you could. Today, you can't touch them. 
So as Carson Wentz, in my opinion, Frank writes, you're going to see a lot of that when he gets back to Indy and he starts playing. You're not going to see Wentz dropping straight back unless it's a five-step. And you're going to have to work back on fundamentals. And to me, with that Jonathan Taylor kid that they got from Wisconsin who came on in the second half of the year for the Colts, that's how Wentz's game is going to improve. Philadelphia never had a running game, really, to speak of. They got a true running back in Indianapolis with a great old line. I mean, they got a back in that backfield that's a 12 to 1,300-yard rusher. Philly never had that. And now he's going to have that. I mean, there's a reason why that the Buccaneers have Leonard Fournette and an entire backfield just jammed full of running backs. Tom Brady doesn't win that Super Bowl unless it's like playoff Fournette playing the way he did and that defense on the other side playing the way they did. I mean, a lot of things broke for the Buccaneers, right? Gaff in defensive uh, play scheme and Green Bay at the end of the half when they scored the touchdown, right? I mean, it gave up seven to Brady on the road. You're like, Jesus Christ, are you nuts? And then the coach not going for it on fourth down, that's play calling. That's coaching. That's like not having enough onions. Then on the other end, the Chiefs lost both their – here, here's two things that played out in that Super Bowl. The Chiefs lose both tackles, right? Reed's kid gets in trouble. I mean, now he's been fired and now he's having charges pressed against him for injuring that kid drunk. I mean, all of that played into that, and you got the Bucks at home. I mean, really, a lot of things that – and all the Bucks had to do was just be the Bucks. They didn't have to do anything crazy. Brady wasn't spectacular in that second half, but he never turned the ball over. But again, that's play calling, knowing the environment, knowing where you are on the field, knowing what you need to do. That's so – see, what I love about that is the ego, he puts it in his back pocket for winning. How many times do you listen to a wide receiver go like this? Well, I have 14 catches, 140 yards. Yeah, but you lost. Why well, on me? That's a lot in the NFL today especially at that diva position. And I think the wide receiver position is the most overrated position on the planet. Name me a big-time wideout that wins Super Bowls. Okay, I get the Bucks what they did last year. I, I mean it. Most of these dudes, though, are like – they're like the Julian Edelmans of the world, the Deion Branches, the Lynn Swans. Swan doesn't even have 10,000 receiving yards. He's a Hall of Famer with that Steeler team. I mean, okay – Julio Jones went to the Super Bowl. I get it. But when you look at people making Jerry Rice back in the day, I mean, the teams that win run the ball, play defense. Quarterback doesn't turn the ball over. Quarterback's efficient in knowing where to throw the ball. That's how you that's how you win ball games. I expect Carson Wentz to go in there and just play absolutely spectacular. All right, let me transition into this. So Rob Nikovich came out and said something publicly about Tim Tebow. He goes, yeah, I've been in retirement. And, hey, well, I'm just going to throw some pads on. I'm going to play tight end, too. Anybody want me to do it? It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of true. So Tim Tebow is just going to magically just play tight end. I'm going to give you guys a, a for me, and I, I know I've told you this story 
but I want to reiterate how hard it is just to do this. Well, I'll play right guard. I was a left guard. Or I'll play DT. Or I was a nose guard. I'm going to tell you the task this guy has. And I, just my personal experience. So when I'm at the University of Miami and I'm playing football and I'm a first-team All-American, I was a 56-player drafted, okay, as a junior, which is the second round, okay? If I had stayed my senior year, I'm probably top 15 picks. Okay, played right next to Jerome Brown, great eagle, great. And I played a three technique, which is this. I line up on the outside shoulder of the offensive guard. I had one responsibility, that gap. Or if they slid me into a one inside the garden tackle, those are my two responsibilities. And to get up the field and make plays. I had 100 tackles my last year at Miami. 100 tackles. <laughs> I led my defense in tackles, the defensive line of tackles, from that three-in-one technique. I had 100 tackles my last year. It's a fact. And all I did was make plays. Fast forward, okay? This is what I'm talking about with Tebow here. So Tebow wants to play tight end. He goes from quarterback to tight end. It's like the moon and the sun. You're going to get hit. you got to block people, okay? I mean, right? You're getting hit now. <laughs> hey, man, that's one thing I loved about playing defense. I'm the guy hitting you. I don't know if I want to get hit, okay? Like them running backs that get banged on like that, I don't know. So follow me here. So I get to Tampa Bay. Hey, yeah, Dan, we don't play a 43. Well, I played a 4-3 defense my entire life. I've never played in a three front. Oh, no, we're going to play nose guard. Okay, how, how, how do you, I, honestly, I said this. Okay, how do you do that? You drafted me to play on your team, and I don't know your scheme. I've never played your technique. Dude, I'm not saying that that was my fit, but I got drafted to a place. I didn't know what the hell you were asking me to do. I had never played that. And do you know how like, every step I took, it seemed slow because I wasn't sure of myself. Do I get here? Do I go here? Do I jam them? I didn't know. When I played the three technique at Miami, I could close my eyes and play it. I didn't need anybody to tell me how to do it. So my point is, is that Rob's right. He, he, you think he's just – or how about this, the difference between right guard and left guard. Think of what you're doing with your – you're stepping with your right foot on the right guard. When you're a left guard, you're stepping with your left foot. You think that's easy? When you've got 350-pound guys running at you and you've got linebackers blitzing in on you and you've got to make a quick move here and your feet, you've never used that technique – because you've been a right guard? You think you can just slide left guards and right guards over like that? Not that easy. Why do you think you see a lot of sacks when old linemen get hurt? Because they're moving around and moving to different positions. Some guys, Bruce Matthews, great example that could do it. Some guys, hey, you could block all day long, but one time you don't use your proper footing, you give up a sack, fumble, boom, you lose the game. So Rob Nikovich is right, man. He, he, he's exactly right. You think this is going to be an easy transition? Now, Meyer may put him in a position to win. We shall see. All right. I got the latest on Deshaun Watson. 
Um, I got it a little bit earlier today from Rusty Harden. I kind of reached out to him and had a conversation with him. I'll let you guys know exclusively what's next and what's happening in that Deshaun Watson case. We'll do it after the time out here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Welcome back to the National Football Show. Tomorrow on the program. We will have the head football coach of the Utah Utes, one of the favorites to win the Pac-12. Absolutely one of the greatest coaches I've ever been around and a guy that I would love to play for, Kyle Winningham. He is just a spectacular head football coach. Utes and I would say Mario Cristobal's Oregon Ducks will be your favorites to win the Pac-12. They always are. They put up great teams. And – the legendary Warren Sapp, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Um, let me just say this to you. Um, yeah, if you're for the uh, faint of heart, you better buckle up because Sap Daddy will be in the building. And he is just nothing but energy, one of the greatest defensive tackles and one of the greatest three techniques to ever play. And he played on that great 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneer World Champion team, played with the Raiders. We're going to get the world according to Sap. That'll be tomorrow. So Warren Sapp will join us. By the way, next Tuesday, man, we got Stephen Jones, the VP of the Dallas Cowboys. Also, Ron Jaworski will join us. Man, just a boatload of people are going to step in. Um, 
Rich McKay, the president of the Falcons next week, will also join us too. We're working on Sean Payton, hopefully for Monday, the head football coach of the New Orleans Saints. So pretty primed and rock and rolling here. So again, people, you know what's really cool too? I didn't, you know, my boy Krause's telling me, he's like, you know, Sills, this is like the new thing. You know how many people have been trying to get me to do this versus what I've been doing for the last 27 years radio? Okay, I, I mean, I was like, ah, man, I don't know, I, I, you know, old man Dan, <laughs> right? I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, man. Then I start sending these little video clips to all my friends. Yeah, you know, Kevin Colbert, yeah, I'll jump on with you. Why not, man? Hey, Sean Payton, yeah, I'll jump on with you, man. Sean McVay, yeah, I'll jump on with you. Colts are the, excuse me, the Rams head football coach. Do you know what's funny? I was talking to Sean McVay. Yesterday, the head coach of the Rams, and he brought this up. I've known Sean McVay since he was 14. He used to run around. You know how he got the Rams job? Oh, this is great. I think you guys are going to love this. I'll get to Deshaun Watson here in a second. This is how he got the Rams job. You know, John Gruden was offered that job first. He was still in the Monday night booth. So Sean so Sean McVay was a ball guy with the Buccaneers. You have to understand who the McVay family is. The grandfather's John McVay. He's the former head coach of the New York Giants. My uncle hired him for the Giant job. Andy Robustelli hired him as the head coach of the Giants. Bombed miserably. But you know what John knew? He knew talent. He was a great talent evaluator. So all of a sudden, Ed DeBartolo buys the 49ers. And Eddie D buys the Niners. And he hires, he hires one, get this, he hires one guy that, Everybody, including Paul Brown, who owned the Cincinnati Bengals. You know the legendary Paul Brown? Paul Brown used to go around trashing Bill Walsh because he never wanted – Eddie Bartle told me this story. He never wanted the credit to go to Bill Walsh on why the Bengals were so good so fast. You know who the offensive coordinator was? It was Bill Walsh. And when they gave that job to Blanton Collier after – Paul Brown stepped down from the Browns and became the president of the Browns. He went around. He cost him the Green Bay job. He cost him the Charger job. And he cost him a Rams job, Bill Walsh. Finally, Ed DeBartolo went like this. No, I'm going to hire him. And against the wishes of Paul Brown, Ed DeBartolo hired Bill Walsh. Greatest movie ever made, right? Guy ended up winning all those Super Bowls, won three Super Bowls. So he, he – he, I think he won four, excuse me. Yeah, that's right, because um, Seaford ended up winning the fifth. So then get this. They needed a personnel guy. And Bill Walsh said, this guy, McVay, he ain't that much of a coach. So they, they're the guys that drafted Ronnie Lott, Joe Montana, Randy Cross, Jerry Rice, Michael Carter, all them great football players, John Taylor. Roger Craig, those were the guys, made the trade to get Steve Young. 
from Tampa. John McVay was the guy. It wasn't Carmen Policy. So they had this dynamic. And John was in that building for 20 years, and they built that dynasty, won five Super Bowls. It was the Bartolo, Bill Walsh, and John McVay. McVay got tired of doing it and retired to Tampa. And he was really dear friends with John McKay, the former USC head coach. And John was the head coach there for a while. Then the son, Rich McKay, became the general manager. Rich, Rich drafted me. And in that process, they, they hired Sean McVay as a ball boy. He wanted to get involved in being a football coach. Well, fast forward a couple of years, obviously, there were coaches in between. Um, uh, Lehman Bennett and Ray Perkins and all them dudes, they didn't pan out, obviously. Tony Dungy did. He started turning the corner. That's when John, That's when Sean started getting in the building. John Gruden gets in the building. How did he get in the building? Well, Bruce Allen became the general manager of the team. Bruce Allen knew Bill Walsh and all those guys from the father, George Allen. So all of a sudden, John Gruden started elevating him. He became a ball boy. Then he became a control guy. Then he became an assistant. Then before you know it, he's the offensive coordinator of the Washington Redskins. That's how that worked. And they moved. They were getting ready to move the team to Los Angeles. Stan Kroenke called up John Gruden and said, how'd you like to be the head coach of the Rams? He said, no, I'm not ready to leave the booth yet. John was making $7 million a year. He goes, but you know what? You should talk to Bruce Allen. And they already knew that Sean McVay was going to be a spectacular coach. See, you know when they say the buddy system? <clears throat> this is the buddy system in work. But it's a generational buddy system. So – the initial guy that was offered the job was John Gruden. Gruden goes, you need to talk to Sean McVay. Someone's going to grab this guy. Cronkie interviews him, and he's the youngest head coach since who? John Madden and John Gruden at 32. He gets the job. He's never had a losing season in Los Angeles. This guy's a savant. Ask him about games in 1987. He knows the play. He knows the sequence. He knows... He's watched almost every NFL game that's ever been played since like 1983 to today. He goes back and is always looking for new plays. That's how he got the Rams job. And in that process, I did radio in Tampa for 15 years. And I got to be friends with him. And he's one of my dearest friends, Sean McVay. And so – I could text him at any time, and I'm like, hey, man, you know, the congratulations when he got the job. He ends up taking the team to the Super Bowl. He told me, hey, I, I, I won't tell you exactly what he told me. I asked him about the quarterback position. He said, we're evaluating it now. I knew immediately when the season and the postseason ended for the Rams that Jared Goff was never going to be on that football team ever again because he looked at Jared Goff as a guy that got to the point where they couldn't do anything else with him again. And he couldn't open up the playbook on what he still wants to do. And from what I'm understanding, Matthew Stafford and him are getting along just incredibly. Matthew's bringing some things to the offense and to the new playbook. And they're really getting – I and they've got, I think, like 10 primetime games – coming up that Rams team, and I think they're going to be in the mix 
to play for a potential NFC championship seat. They're going to be one of the teams. The question mark will be their offensive line, if they're going to be able to, you know, if they're going to be able to protect Matthew Stafford and they got to run the ball. I mean, golf had a little bit more um, mobility, but I, I was never a fan of the kid. I really wasn't. I was never a fan of Jared Goff. I thought he played in spurts. I thought he was more of a guy that he got hot and then he got cold. Like he'd get hot for 10 plays, 12 plays. All of a sudden then those next 12 plays, he, he he's like five of – like he's like five of like 10 and you're like next 15 plays. He's like five of 10 and you're like, what the hell happened? And before you know it, you're so inconsistent. And I just think there were so many swings that it was just not enough for, see McVay would rather have you do this, be consistent, be short in third and one. Okay. Lose a game by a couple points instead of like giving the game away late with a poor pick, a sack, um, an overthrow, an INT, all those games that Jared Goff would end the season with, like he did the playoff game, would end on some sort of innocuous play that wasn't even in the playbook, and it drove Sean crazy. And I saw him on the sidelines, and I even asked him, I go, that dude's toast, man. He didn't say anything to me because he didn't want me to go out and be Dan Cilio and have a big mouth about it and go like, you know, start barking about it. But I knew that dude was toast. All right. Don't forget again, like I said, Kyle Winningham, the head football coach of the Utah Utes, will be with us tomorrow. We'll also talk to the legendary Pro Football Hall of Famer, Warren Sapp, 4-6. to six. Only place you can catch it, of course, is where? Right here on the Jacob Media channel. We'll catch you tomorrow. We'll catch you on the flip side.